Welcome to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where tour players, legends, and the top instructors in the game share their stories, insights, and playing lessons. Join Chris every week as he talks with the greats of the game. You are the smartest guy I've spoken to on radio or television in my career. And Chris, again, you are, you're knocking out of the park. You're like eight under par in this interview. By having any research, I'm hiring your tail to be the research man. You're the best. You're a fantastic host and tremendously respected in the golf community. Yeah, Chris, you do an amazing job and your listeners are super lucky to have you and it's always my pleasure. Chris Scarrow is the king of the golf podcast. Don't miss him on Tuesdays. Now, here's your host, Chris Mascaro. Good evening, folks, and welcome to Next on the Tee. I'm your host, Chris Mascaro. I really appreciate you coming back and making Next on the Tee a part of your golf content. I want to say again how excited and grateful I am to you, to my guests, and the folks at the Communicator Awards for recognizing Next on the Tee for excellence and awarding the show gold for the second year in a row. Again, like to my guests, you guys are what the show is really all about. You're all so fantastic. And to all you listeners, thank you so much for continuing to make Next on the Tee a part of your regular content. It is both my guests and my listeners that make this show so much fun and why we won gold. The show is nothing without both groups, and I am humbled, and the awards mean so much to me. A couple of shout-outs before we get into the show this week. First, to my parents for celebrating their 59th anniversary tonight. I love you, Mom and Dad. Uh, I hope you're having a wonderful night. And to my brother from another mother, Joe, I hope you're having a wonderful birthday, my friend, celebrating 53 years, blowing out 53 candles tonight. Joe, happy birthday, my friend. Okay, on to tonight's show. I've got four great guests that I can't wait to share with you. First up is going to be our resident director of instruction, Tom Patry. Following TP, I'll be joined by Champions Tour Pro Rob LeBritz. After Rob, I'll be joined by Doug Coors, yes, of that Coors family, and he's also the new CEO of Adele Golf. And then we'll round out tonight's show with a visit from Chandler Withington. Chandler was a PGA professional at historic golf courses like Seminole, Marion, and Hazeltine. He left that bet on himself and his wonderful artwork and won. Can't wait to hear that story. He'll join me a little bit later on next hour. So we're going to have a lot of fun over the next 90 minutes or so. And as always, thank you so much for tuning in and taking the journey with me tonight. I want to start out tonight by reminding you about our friends at the Macklemore, which is a private resort located just south of Chattanooga, high atop Lookout Mountain, Georgia. It's a casual two-hour drive from Atlanta, Nashville, and Birmingham. The existing Highlands course is now ranked in the top 100 courses you can play in the United States by Golf Digest. The 18th hole, as a matter of fact, is ranked in the top 10 finishing holes in the world. A second course, the Outpost, is now under construction, which will open summer of 2024. The Outpost is another Bill Bergen Reese Jones design and features a mile and a half of dramatic cliff edge, with every inch of that edge filled with a golf hole. A world-class hotel, Cloudland Lookout Mountain Curio Collection by Hilton, will open spring of 2024. Both the course and the hotel have incredible views into historic Macklemore Cove, 1,200 feet below. You gotta see it to believe it, folks. Stay, dine, and play golf above the clouds at Macklemore. 
Go online to MacLemore.com to book your stay and play package today. Now let's talk grips. I want to tell you about Lampkin grips. Every shot, as you know, has its own unique feel. The trick? Feel comfortable with each one. And comfort is built into the very DNA of Sonar Plus black grips. Composed of their Genesis material that provides supreme comfort and durability with their fingerprint technology creates a strong connection and unforgettable touch. The game changes from shot to shot. The feel on your hand shouldn't. Lampkin. Feel is everything. I also want to remind you about the all-new Stealth 2 driver from TaylorMade. If there's one thing we know golfers want from a driver, it's distance. But there's actually two things we all want. Distance, and let's not forget, forgiveness. That's why TaylorMade designed the Stealth 2 driver with even more carbon for even more forgiveness. To learn more about the new Stealth 2 driver from TaylorMade, visit them online at TaylorMadeGolf.com. Okay, now back and next on the tee with me is our resident director of instruction, Tom Patrick. As you guys know by now, if you want to play your best golf ever this season, go see Tom down at Club Champion in Naples, Florida. If you can't get down there, do what he's forcing me to do, and that's download the V1 video app and send Tom videos of your golf swing through that app. You can find Tom online at TomPatry.com and on Instagram at TomPatryGolf. Be sure to subscribe to his YouTube channel, folks. You're going to get over 300 free playing lessons. And do what I do. I take my AirPods and my cell phone with me to the driving range so I can watch and put those tips into place right there on the spot on the range. As always, it's a privilege to have Tom as part of the show, and I'm excited he is back with me again this week. Hey, TP, how are you, my friend? Boy! <laughs> TP, you're the best. How are you, my friend? You doing all right? Yeah, I'm good, Tom. I'm a little... Uh... I'm a little fried. It was a little toasty out there today. Got up to a, a, a mere 98 degrees here. It was a little 100 percent humidity, but other than that, it was nice. It was nice, it was nice out there. Today. It was beautiful, no doubt. Yeah. yeah. Tom, I want to start our time this week by getting your thoughts on a player who seems like he has come back from the dead, and that's Ricky Fowler. We're starting to see him consistently now on the first page of leaderboard. Struggles a little bit in the final rounds. We saw that a couple weeks ago at the U.S. Open when he had a share of the 54-hole lead. Shot 75 on Sunday. Back in the mix this past week. Didn't quite get it done, but still hanging in there in the top 10. He is light years from where we saw him over the last few years. What do you think about what you're seeing from Ricky? Two words. Butch Harmon. So, once again, the man, the myth, the legend resurrects the golf game. Um, you know, Ricky was with him playing well, left him in Things went a little sideways, and then he got way sideways, as you said, Chris. And I, I think that, you know, listen, we know, we, know, we know what an unbelievable talent he is. But we also know that when he was on the slide, we saw him in more TV commercials than we saw in final round pairings. Um, so I think, you know, marriage, you know, a lot of sponsorships, getting, getting kind of waylaid, leaving Butch. I think there are a lot of contributing factors there, but I think he's got it kind of back in order. I think Butch has put him back in order. I think marriage has put him back in order. I think prioritizing his golf game has put him back in order. Listen, he's a great talent. He was he was probably as high as was he top ten in the world? I'm sure he was at one time. Right. Um, and and I th I think we've seen a lot of really good trend these last six to eight weeks. I think he wins before the end of the year. Is that right? Before the end of the year, this season? Yeah, yeah this season. I think he, I think he, I'm going out on a limb here. I think we yeah, not many tournaments left. No, there's not a lot. I think we've seen win before the end of the year. 
Wow. Okay. And yeah. let, let's, but let's take that whole situation uh, another step forward because we saw Jordan Spieth fall off the planet for a few years, just like Ricky did. We've seen Justin Thomas start to struggle a little bit. My goodness, he shot 81 to miss the cut a couple of weeks ago. Those three guys, they're, they're, they're really good friends and the three amigos and that sort of thing. But it doesn't feel like this sort of thing falling off after playing really, really well for a number of years. Paisan, our Paisan also did the same thing. Uh, Francisco Molinari, um, he, he was right up there at the top of his game, was in a position to win a Masters in 2019 until a ball fell, fell in the water on 12. It seems like guys that play well, they, they, they can lose their way for a little while. Some of it's injuries, right? Brooks Kepka, right? He had the knee injury and, and that caused him to fall off for a while. But golf is a game, right, Tom? I mean, sometimes you, you start to get into a bad habit here or there. Maybe you got some bad instruction, Ricky. I don't know. Uh, and needed, needed to find it again, but it's a, it's a game where you can fall out for a little while until you can kind of find yourself again. Not all that unusual. Do you think? I. First of all, I don't think he had any bad instruction. I, I don't think he got instruction that matched his needs. I mean, I think there's a difference. I think the people he saw after Butch, um, they're, they're all quality people. But you've, you've got to match the instructor with the player. Um, sometimes it's simply a personality you know, conflict or you know, just, just a, a communication that isn't clear. You know, um, it, it's, you know, these guys are very fragile guys. It's a very fine line between on a PGA tour between winning and finish finishing 30th. I mean, it, it's a very fine line. People don't realize how fine the line is. And then all those players you named, you know, Chris, I think you look back at Arnold and you look back at Jack and you look at Gary, Billy Casper, and, and that generation, there wasn't nearly all the distraction, the social media, the, you know, the playing and living, playing and living under a microscope, uh, all the different things that are presented to them, um, the endorsements, uh, the travel constantly overseas of bigger and better events, um, corporate outings. Yeah, it's just, it's just, it's almost too much, you know. And then the season's awful long. And, you know, we've talked about the, we talked about our opinion about the wraparound season and how long this goes on and very little time off to recharge. I think there's a lot of contributing factors. And I think it's hard this game to sustain that level of play, which is, you know, which is world-class level play against very deep fields. It's very, very easy to get, like you said, sidetracked just a little bit. You mentioned the word fragile a moment ago. It leads me to my next question, because I want to talk to you about junior golf and junior players. What are some of the challenges about teaching today's junior players versus what it was like when we were growing up and we were kids out there taking lessons from our club pro? And they, you're going to get me in a lot of trouble now because you're going to get some nasty emails and text messages from parents. <laughs> you know, it's it's amazing to me. You know, Chris, when I when I I, w- I had a really 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 good junior career, uh, probably I think I won 17 times. Won the Met Junior, which is the oldest junior in America. Uh, junior World played the Junior World. I mean, played in a lot of great the Orange Bowl, played in a lot of great events, and had a lot of successes. Uh, and then had the same kind of success during my college career, and. You know, when I started playing golf, I, my first set of clubs was a set of Patty Berg Woods and Irons women's clubs that were, you know, not slightly used, but very used. And obviously, we didn't know anything about fitting. There was no V1. There was no body track. There, there was no track man. You know, you took, you took some old balls you, you dug out of the lake and you put them in a, in a bag and you put up the range at the back and you practice by yourself until your hands hurt. 
and you, you kind of figured things out. You know, maybe there was a good player at the club and you kind of watched him play some shots and you kind of mimic that. Um, and these kids come to me today. They've got fitted golf clubs. They're, you might have four or $5,000 in their bag and exotic shafts. Uh, they, they've all got V1 on their cell phone. They get instruction. They, they play in junior terms, practice rounds. They have, some of them have a trainer. Um, and the vast majority of them, in my opinion, can't break an egg. Um, <laughs> it, it's amazing to me. And, 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 and it's a lot of it's the entitlement. And it's a lot of it's the, the parents' fault, the overkill, giving them probably too much too soon. Um, I, I just think, I think it's that, I think they've gotten on a bad track in a lot of respects in junior golf. And, uh, it, it's, it's just, it's out of control. You know, really, it really is out of control. So let's take that out of control statement and take that a step further because. One of the things that people will argue is out of control in the game right now is the technology that we have. And you've actually found some new irons that you put in play, gained a little bit of yardage. Talk about how the new technology is actually helping in this case with you and your game. Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think technology, when used properly and used, and I'm going to use another word, sparingly uh, and not jammed down people's throats, is, is a really powerful thing and a good thing. I think there are a lot of teachers out there, I'm going to get in trouble for this one too, that hide behind technology because they really don't have a real good handle on cause and effect. So they just they just kind of blurt out numbers off of a TrackMan screen. And if you really ask them to really dive in and explain the cause and effect of those numbers or what the hell to do with those numbers, yeah, you got the number now, now what do you do with it? You told the student what the number is, what their, what their launch angle is, what their face and path is, what their angle of attack is, what their spin rates are what their smash factor is. Okay, now what are you going to do with that, you know, Sparky? What are you going to do with that information? <laughs> and and they can't. They can't do that. And, and we, I've had this discussion with, and I'm not going to use any names, but some really, really fine teachers in the world that are from my generation. And they kind of frown a little bit at the younger teacher today who hides behind those things, like I said. Um, you know, you're right. I just went through a fitting. For, you, know, you know, I'm a Titleist guy, and I'm, I'm a very, very loyal Titleist guy. I'm on the leadership advisory staff, and I just got fitted for new irons. I don't understand how these companies, Titleist being my favorite, of course, comes out every year and produces a better iron, a better ball, a better driver, a better head shaft combination. Uh, I'm 64 years old and just went through this fitting, and my ball speed went up three miles an hour. My 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 launch went up, you know, you know, several degrees. My my peak height went up five or six feet. Um, my carry distance went up about four or five yards. Um, how does that happen at 64? Well, it's, it's not me. Obviously it's the technology because I, I'm an old dog and, and they, they, they just taught me a new trick. Um, <laughs> it's amazing, amazing. And, and Chris, really, you, you know, clubs aside, the biggest single difference I think today as compared to when I played competitively is the golf ball. It's just, it's amazing. I mean, if, if you put a, 392 ball in these players' hands today. They think they were hitting a marshmallow. We thought it was the greatest ball <laughs> on the planet. And it went and it went to furthest back then, and it went much further back then than the previous ball. And it, we thought it was amazing. Well, the 392 ball compared to the Pro V1 is like an Etzel compared to a Ferrari. It's <laughs> it's it's not even close. It's not even close. And then my friend Christmas Carroll is going to get on the, the ball, you know, purification <laughs> you know, hotline. But we just saw these guys play at. LA Country Club and 
eight under, eight under, eight under was leading after the first round, and all of a sudden, ten under one after the fourth round. So there's different ways to protect the golf course and protect the game, but the equipment today is just outstanding, and, and the guys in these R and D rooms are really smart guys. I mean, they're just incredibly bright, and they're going to they're push the equipment right to the limit of legality. Um, it's just it's just amazing, you know, it really is. I tell you what, I'd love to see Tom, and you know, as we get into the fall. Back in our day, that was, that was silly season on the PGA Tour, right? With the Skins games and stuff yep, like that. Yep. I would love to see a tournament with the guys with persimmon woods and the old oh. irons and a lot of balls and watch them go idea. out there and play. I think it's how that idea. would work out. I'd love to see that. You know, Chris, you know, during COVID, I turned my, my garage here at the house into a studio. I you know, put TrackMan out there, put a flat screen out there, got a nice net and a really great, great mat out there. And dressed it up and it, it really is kind of cool. And I, and I've got a bag of old clubs out there. I've got a bunch of toys out there. Obviously all my stuff is out there, but I've got the driver that I won the 81 NCAA division two national championship with. It's a Tony Penn, a persimmon. He's ready for this with a gamma fire insert. Ooh. A gamma, yeah. It was hot. It was like <laughs> that. If you put that gamma fire insert in the persimmon head, you were, you were, you were uptown, baby. You were hitting that thing. That thing was coming out of there hot. It looks like a pea shooter. It looks like a it looks like a it looks like a, a little boy, a little kids club. It's unbelievable. I put it next to it, you know, a, you know, a T series driving out from titles. It looks like it looks like a toy club. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's, and, no and, we, and we thought it was the greatest thing on the planet. You know, it was just unbelievable. No doubt. Tom, one thing I've talked to Gary Player about over the years is how great a player Bobby Locke was. He had an <laughs> unconventional putting stroke, as did another great putter, Isao Aoki, and then a, a good friend of this show, Billy Mayfair, is a little unconventional. Talk about getting it done unconventional. First of all, Chris, I don't think you know this. In 1984, I played the South African tour, and I had the pleasure of meeting Bobby Locke. Um, wow. Which was, it was, was a real thrill. I mean, it was, it was a quick accident. I came off the green during a practice round, and Mr. Player was there, and he was introducing all the American players that came through to Bobby. He was, you know, Quite old at the time, but but still very much with it, and uh, it, it was a real thrill. So that that, that was a big thrill in my golf career meeting Bobby Lock one time. But you know, all three of those putting strokes you mentioned, Lock, Ioki, and Billy, um, are are so <laughs> are not even close to conventional or classic, if you would, if you want to call it. Um, they, you know, Bobby almost hooked his putts. Ioki, I can't even see, kind of punched, jab, flipped at it. And, and Billy kind of was, was a big cutter with an open face and they all put, they were great, not good putters. They were great putters. So as a player and then as a former player and now as a coach, when somebody comes to me who's a good player with a putting issue or a putting question, I watch him hit a lot of putts before I make any changes. Um, you know, if they can get the ball to roll at the hole down there and head in line and they control their speed, um, it's probably something very, very minor. So I'm not going to rush in and change the world. There's been a lot of strokes that are less than conventional. Um, Brad Faxon doesn't look anything like Ben Crenshaw, you know, and, and they both are pretty good putters. Um, and the three guys you named, of course, you know, Locke, Ioki, and Billy were, were really good putters. And, I mean, if you looked at it on a video and you didn't know how good they were, you'd probably want to throw up. Um, but they putted pretty damn good. So there's more than one way to skin a cat. Uh, some people are just, you know, they're outliers. They're they're freaks. Um, some guys freaks in the putting stand in the putting uh, genre. 
And some guys are freaks from tee to green. Some guys are freaks in terms of the way they pitch and shift the ball. Um, you know, you leave that alone. Those guys, those guys you mentioned were not good. They were some of the all-time greats rolling the rock. Um, there's more than one way to get it done. If you if you see somebody like that, I mean, that's, that's got to be hard as a PGA professional. Because if Bobby Locke came to you today and was up, you know set up on the green and he's and he's putting, is that something that you could have the the inner discipline to let him continue to do to your point. I mean, he used to almost pull hook a putt, but goodness gracious, you know, and hit it on the toe and it went in obviously almost every time, but that's got to be tough to see. I mean, I, I, we're in an era of swing your swing and I get all of that. But when you see someone on a hunting green that is doing something so unconventional, right? And, you know, Aoki, right? He had the toe of the putter sitting, you know, way up in the air. He almost hit everything on the heel of the putter but a fantastic putter can how is it not, as a pga professional to you know i've got to give you the shakes like no 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 you, you, you're doing it wrong let's, let's you got to get that put that toe down you know how do you not how do you resist the opportunity to change things so i'm going to i'm going to answer it i'm answer it with a story way back in the i'm going to go way back to the early 90s i was asked to do a um a round table a talk if you will for the uh, to the Tennessee PGA, and uh, if I'm not mistaken, it was in Nashville, and I was a pretty young teacher at the time. But you know, really, I've always been a student of the game, and it was on this very topic. You know, when do you change? When do you not change? How do you make? How do you make the decision? And I I assembled 12 slides of a player um, from start to finish in certain key positions in the golf playing 12 12 different positions. The player. Uh, the only thing missing from all the slides except for the last slide was the player's head. He had no head. And he was in a pair of, uh, uh, jeans, some Nike sneakers and a t-shirt. And he was in, you know, a dress position takeaway, halfway back, top, halfway down, pre-impact, impact, extension, and then follow through. And I was up on a stage and I had, uh, you know, this all on a, on a big giant screen on, on the stage and, you know, in a, in a remote to click the, you know, click the slides. And I asked, Big auditorium, 300 professionals in the auditorium, mostly young, young teachers. And I said to them, I'm going to put the first each slide up and I want you to come up and tell me what you want to change in that slide, what you want to change in that one position. And I had a uh, ink pen and an overhead projector on a different screen. And I'm going to, I said, I'm going to list each one of the things you guys want to change as we go along. So I went through these 11 slides. And by the time I got to the 11 slides, there were 300 recommendations. Of things to change. I was writing them down. Just write, they'd come up and they'd come on, I'd write it down. Next, come on up, write it. Somebody else in this slide, come up. Next slide, and here we go. There were 300 things that this audience decided in these 11 slides that, in their opinion, they might change. I put up the 12th slide, and the 12th slide had the player's head on it. And it was a guy named Fred Couples. Wow. I, I said, So, what you guys just did is you just destroyed probably a $100 million career. <laughs> because what you didn't do, what you didn't do was ask me about the ball flight, the repeatability of the ball flight, the shape, the trajectory. Could he do it on a swing in and swing out basis, which obviously we know he can do that. So again, he you know he's a friend of mine, Chris, and that's why I used him. That's why I had access to those pictures. But you know, here's an outlier. Here's something that's not conventional. And if you and I went to a tour event tomorrow and walked down the practice tee, and you've been to plenty of tour events, and I we walked down. And I said to you, "Here's 144 of the best players in the world. 
I want you to stop me each time you get to a player who you think is really purely classical. Well, you, you might stop at Adam Scott, and you might yep. you might stop at Tiger in his prime, and you might stop at Steve, Steve Elkington when he was playing. And I'm I'm going to have a stretch here to try to find a fourth, a fifth, and a sixth guy. But if you ask me to stop each time at a guy that wasn't conventional, that had a funny grip or a funny takeaway, you know, or a funny posture or a funny wrist set or a funny position at the top, we could stop at every other guy with those four or five guys I named and, and we could pick them apart. But they're the best players in the world, in the world. Um, you know, Tony Finau doesn't look conventional. Jim Furyk doesn't look conventional. Fred Couples doesn't look conventional. Uh, you know, Bryson DeChambeau doesn't look conventional. <laughs> now we, we can go on and on, you know, Ricky right. at the top, Ricky doesn't look conventional, you know? Um, so I think as a teacher, the discipline, the real discipline is you can, you can change anything you want, but before you rush in and change anything, whether it's putting full swing, short game, make the player hit a fair number of shots. And if there's a pattern that's repeatable, if the contact is out of the middle of the face, the ball flies at the same trajectory and shapes the same exact way every time, as long as it's not overdone in its shape, you better leave them alone. You better leave them alone because you might be, you might be going down on a rabbit hole that doesn't do any good and does some harm. Yeah. Tom, one more before I let you go. Oh, this I don't is... want to go yet, Chris. Let's not go yet. <laughs> I appreciate you. It's, U.S. Senior Open Weekend. As you know, my next guest is Rob Labritz, someone you've known for a long time since your junior golf days up there at the in the Mets section. Tell me what you know about Rob. Well, first of all, he's one of the fine human beings on the planet. He's, he's a wonderful guy. We've known each other for quite a while. Um, I, don't, I don't know Rob as well as I'd like to. We spent some time together. But we do communicate on social media quite a bit. Um, here's what I do know. He, he's a classy individual. He works his ass off. He's had this dream for a long time. He told all of us 10 years ago he was going to do exactly what he's doing. I'm going to go play the senior tour. I'm going to qualify and play the senior tour. Um, and, and not only did he qualify, but he was the medalist in qualifying school, which is, as you know, Chris, no small feat. Um, he's a hell of a player. It's no secret. It was no secret to us in the Mets section how good a player he was. He kicked all of our asses for a long time. Um, and in a section, it might be the strongest playing section in the country of PGA professionals, qualified for multiple majors, made a, made a, made a cut at the PGA Championship, if I'm not mistaken, at Beth Page, uh, and, and did himself very proud there. Um, and all the time, all the times I have been around Rob, and it's been multiple times, he's just, is just a real quality human being. So you're, you got a great guest coming up there. Uh, please do say hi for me. I think the world of him. Please remind him, and he made a promise to me that he was going to win this year, and he hasn't done that yet. And I'm kind of pissed off about that because when, <laughs> when he does when he does win, I want to take full credit for it. <laughs> I even bet though, you do. Even though his swing coach is a guy named Carl Alexander, who is a wonderful teacher and a wonderful player in the Mets section at the Country Club of Purchase, and the guy I have a lot of respect for. But I'm going to take credit just because I wished it on him. <laughs> um, he, he's a really good guy. I, I love him to death, and I. Uh, I hope you enjoy your time with him because you got a quality guy. I'm sure I will. Tom, before I let you go, remind our listeners again how they can stay up to date with all the great things that Tom Patry is out there doing by following you on your website and over social media as well. Yeah, Chris, you know, all the regular places, uh, Instagram, LinkedIn, 
Facebook, you know, yada, yada, yada. My website is www.tompatry.com. Um, I'm off. I'm off to the races this week, Chris. On a long trip to the Northeast for a couple of weeks. I'm looking forward to it. A couple of golf schools, a little golf at some great places, Old Sandwich and and uh, Wingfoot, and uh, back in the Mets section. So I hope Rob's jealous of that while he's out there in the senior open, getting his brains beaten in by a tough golf course. Um, we love you, Chris. We love what you do. I'm, I'm honored to be on the show every other week with you, and and you're the best in the whole world. I think that that's you, my friend. But I appreciate that very much. Safe travels. All the best to you uh, and uh, and Miss Denise. And I look forward to catching up with you again in a couple of weeks. Thanks, pal. I look forward to hearing about Robbie. Yep, absolutely. Take care, my friend. We'll catch up Bye-bye. soon. That is the great Tom Patry. And folks, it's P-A-T-R-I is the spelling of his last name. If you don't know, TomPatry.com, Tom Patry Golf on Instagram. And be sure, again, subscribe to that YouTube channel. Get all those free playing lessons and take those to the to the range with you. You're going to come out better on the other side. And they don't come better than Tom Patrick. So lucky to have him as part of the, the show on a regular basis. And looking forward to catching up with him again in a couple of weeks. Coming up next is Champions Tour Pro Rob Labritz. Before I get to Rob, I was talking with Eddie Dry, VP of Domestic Sales for Strixon Cleveland Golf, at the PGA Merchandise Show earlier this year. And I said, Eddie, I like your CBX full-face wedges. How can they help an average player like me play better? Here's what he had to say. An average player, I use one, and I'm in some lies that you can't even believe. And I need all the help I can get. And the face is bigger, and the grooves go all the way up and all the way out to the toe. So if I, you hit it on the toe, you miss it, bam, there's a groove. So I like that. So I carry a 58. There you have it, folks. Try the new CBX full face wedges from Cleveland Golf. I want to tell you about something else I saw at the PGA Merchandise Show, and that's me and my golf. And how does a 45-day free trial to Arco sound? Well, me and my golf have partnered with Arcos and are offering 14 free sensors and a 45-day free trial to Arcos Caddy when you purchase any training aid on shop.meandmygolf.com. This is a limited-time offer, so don't miss out. Again, go online to shop.meandmygolf.com meandmygolf.com. With many years in the business, menswear brand Construct has finally launched its green golf collection, sustainably produced using renewable solar energy and recycled fabrics. Hit your best shot in their performance-enhancing polos, quarter zips, and bottoms. Made with four-way stretch, quick dry, and UV 50-plus protection. From solids to bold eye-catching designs, Construct Green is the perfect piece for making the best memories on the greens. And the best part? You can head to construct.com, and that's C-O-N-X-S-T-R-U-C-T dot com, and use code CHRIS for 20% off the green collection today. Okay, now next on the tee with me is Champions Tour Pro Rob Labritz. Rob is a legend in the New York area and the Metropolitan PGA section. He won the 2006 New York State PGA Championship. He's won the New York Open three times. He's also won the Westchester Open, the Rhode Island Open, and the Massachusetts Open. He's been named the Westchester Golf Association's Player of the Year six times and the Metropolitan PGA Section Player of the Year twice. He was the only club professional to make the cut at the 2010 PGA Championship at Whistling Straits. He's played in a total of six PGA Championships so far. He's now out on the PGA Tour Champions. And over the last two seasons, he has three top five finishes and four top tens, including 
a tied for fourth this year at the Hogue Classic, and a tied for fourth last year at the U.S. Senior Open. And I'm excited he is with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Rob, thanks for coming on the show. Chris, how are you? Nice to be with you tonight. I appreciate you very much. Rob, I'm guessing you heard what Tom Patrick just had to say about you a moment ago. Talk about your relationship with TP. Yeah, that cost me about 100 bucks right there. I couldn't <laughs> believe he actually said it. <laughs> no doubt it did. Uh, Tom, uh, Tom and I go back in the Met section uh, for some time, and, and he's always been one of those guys I've kind of looked up to because he's been such a good instructor and, uh, and just a good human being as well. So um, we became friends, and um, he's had some great words, advice uh, for me over the years, and, uh, and we just uh, think very highly of each other. So uh, you got a good guest there. He's, he's awesome. Rob, I want to go back to the beginning of your time in our game. When did you first start playing golf? I took the game up at an early age of four, um, where I, I found a, uh, one of my dad's clubs in the garage and went out to my backyard. And we lived right on a, a little par three golf course called Pattonbrook Country Club in Southington, Connecticut. And my backyard faced the eighth green. And I used to rip drivers about 50 yards to see if I could get it to the green when I was that tall. And, um, you know, it's just, I just took a loving to the game and I, I couldn't, I couldn't wait to get up in the morning to play it. And I couldn't wait to get home from school to play it. And I played it until I couldn't see the ball anymore. So, uh, uh, it's been that way ever since I took the game up at age four and, uh, and here we are today. And like Tom said, a lot of great players have come out of the Met section. What was it like for you competing to win those New York opens, the Westchester open, those kind of tournaments against such a huge pool of great talent. Yeah. I mean, I didn't really think of it as playing against other people. I, I kind of wanted to just get better myself. Uh, and I felt that if I was doing the right things and working hard on my game, then I I'd, I'd get better. And then the competitiveness just kind of comes out with you. That makes you do crazy things. So, um, you know, for me, it was more, more of an individual sort of thing. And then when you're playing with some of the best club pros in the country, like we do in the Met section, just, you know, learning from them, watching what they do, uh, and then while we're out there, of course, you know, being club pros, we, we talk about our businesses, which is kind of awesome. <laughs> and Rob, you won those New York Opens competing at Beth Page Black. What's it trying to win a big tournament there in the section on a course like that? Sometimes it's, you know, from what I've read, trying just to survive Beth Page Black is a challenge. Of all the tournaments I've played, Chris, in my life, every time that I got done with Beth Page Black, I wanted to go home and go to sleep. <laughs> it was just it, that golf course is just a it is just one of those golf courses that um it, uh you just really have to pay attention if you fall asleep for a second it just it, it just gets up and grabs you so um to to win out there three times and then make a cut there in the PGA championship uh in 2019 too um you know it was special uh, I played a lot of rounds on that golf course it's it's just one of the one of the classic great tracks uh, that if you can play there and shoot, you can shoot under par, you are one heck of a golfer. <laughs> and Rob, you competed for years on the Australia Asian Tour, the Gold Coast Golf Tour, the Golden Bear Tour. What was it like for you trying to win and really have enough money to live week to week when you're out there playing on those tours? Uh, well, you know, that was the thing. You watched every dime and you, you had sponsors that helped, uh, hopefully. Uh, you form relationships with people and you, and you made sure that when you stayed in places, you stayed, you stayed at the places that you could afford and traveled the way you could afford. And, and hopefully, uh, you know, your skills would make you a big check at the end of the week. Um, you know, it was just, 
it was just a grind. It really taught you humility. It taught you, uh, you know, you got to work extremely hard uh, at this game to even to even get up uh, in front of people, uh, you know, to to pass them. And then you got to have some luck involved. And then you got to have ability. It's just a it's a crazy game because you can work your tail off uh, and you can work yourself too hard uh, to where you where you don't play well. So finding the balance and everything, it's just uh, it's one of those lifelong games that no one will ever master. Rob, you mentioned the phrase being up in front of people. I mean, I'm guessing you've gone from those tours where you might have had a, a person here or there to, to play in front of to now you're out on the Champions Tour with thousands of people you're playing in front of. What was that transition like for you? Yeah, you know, the, the eight PGA Championships that I played in prior um, really kind of set me up for for feeling more comfortable out on the Champions Tour. Um, you know, obviously, first week you go out there on the Champions Tour, uh, my first event was the Chubb, uh, not this year, but last year. Um, you know, you're nervous. You, you're, you're walking out there and you're, you're hitting balls next to Ernie Els and, and uh, Miguel Jimenez and, uh, you know, all these greats, Jose, Amriel, Fabo. And, and you're like, wow, how did I get here? But then you realize what you did to get there. Uh, and, um, you know, now I'm a year and a half into it. Everybody puts their, puts their pants on the same. And, and right now, uh, if, you're, if you putt well, you, you win some tournaments out here <laughs> at like Steve Stricker's doing. If you hit the ball well and you hit the fairway and, you, and you hit it on the green, and you make some putts. It's amazing what you can do out here. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's classic to watch some of the greats and, and how great they still are. But uh, every day is a learning day. It's incredible. It is incredible. And like I said, you've you've gone from a guy who was regionally well known, and then like out on the mini tours and that sort of thing. Now you're a guy that people are waiting along a rope line to get your autograph when you're done. What's that feel like? it's not even like that. They still look at me and go, who's that guy? Is he old <laughs> enough to be out here? Who is that guy? <laughs> you know? um, yeah, no, it's uh, the legends are the real legends. I'm, I'm a man who, who qualified for the champions tour and I'm going to dig and claw and do everything I can. Uh, you know, when it comes to trying to get my game better to stay here, because uh, I truly love being out here and competing every day doing this. It's uh it's been a dream of mine my entire life, and and to get to do it now is uh, is pretty special. I just uh, want to find the mixture, so to speak, to make sure that I can maintain the longevity. And and it's a very different animal than what I did for 32 years as a, as a PGA Club pro. Uh, and um, you know, for those of uh, the guys who've done it, who've transitioned from you know all these, we as a PGA pro, we wear so many hats. Uh, it's incredible, you know, as a as a touring professional, you wear one hat get the ball in the hole. <laughs> so <laughs> it's, uh, it's, um, it's pretty cool. Um, but it's, it's been a, it's been a, a good transition. I've had my highs and lows and, um, I just reminded myself and I've had a few people remind me that, uh, you know, I worked my, my tail off my entire life to get here. I wanted this so bad to make sure that I keep enjoying it. As you know, golf can get, uh, very frustrating at times. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's it's incredible. I, I don't want to ever do anything like this, uh, or I don't ever want to do anything but this. Uh, and it's just, uh, it's really cool. <laughs> yeah. So, what is that like? What is it like to to realize your dream? Something you worked thirty plus years to achieve, and now suddenly here you are. That's got to be awesome. Well, it's you know, it's it's not really. I mean, the dream obviously was to get out here, but the dream was also to win senior majors, and win multiple times, and. And I, I, when I got here, you know, you, 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 you know that you have a game to get you there. And then you, 
you're constantly trying to improving, constantly trying, constantly trying to improve. So as I as I go through this and I watch the other players and and see what they're doing and the numbers they're shooting, I mean, you know, I've got some work to do. Um, it doesn't mean that I can't win out here, but they're they're making a lot less mistakes than I am, uh, and uh, they make more putts than I am. So at least the guys that are winning and finishing up there. Uh, so you know, it's just a matter of, of of balancing everything, working on my deficiencies, and um, and just keeping the the mindset of having fun out here. Um, you know, I get to wake up every day and work out and, and work on my game. Uh, it's pretty cool. And when you play well, you get paid for it. So, um, you know, if you get to do what you love, then they say you're really not, not doing a job. And that's the way I feel. You, know? you mentioned winning senior majors. Last year at the U.S. Senior Open at Salcon Valley over in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, across the state from my hometown of Pittsburgh, you go out there and shoot three straight rounds of 69 before a 74 in the final round. You finished tied for fourth. What was it like being in the mix at a major? Yeah, that you know, it was funny. Um, that was, by the way, Saucon Valley. Shout out to everybody there. That place is awesome. Uh, every, all the people and fans. It was just incredible. Um, but but it was kind of like you know, you, when you get in when you're playing the tour full time out here, and to those guys who who have never played a, a tour full time, I mean, you go kind of week to week to week to week to week. You don't even know sometimes what the events you're playing in are um, you're just kind of playing in the event. Uh, and then when you do multiple weeks in a row, sometimes you don't even know for, for me, it is sometimes I don't even remember what city I'm in. I have to wake up in the morning. You know, where am I? Um, so, you know, I was playing in just another event on a golf course. That was the one golf course that I actually have played <laughs> uh, in that whole season last year. I, I played it one other time with one of my members, uh, Frank Pratt. And, um, over at, uh, over at Glen Arbor. And it was just one of those experiences where, you know, I just started feeling comfortable and playing on making some putts. Um, I had control over my, my ball flight and my starting lines. And, and I just had so much fun being out there. The crowds got behind me. Um, it was really cool being, you know, you know, I got a chance to play with Ernie Els in the final round. Uh, you know, play the final round, the second to last group in a major, uh, with Ernie Els, you're, you're doing something right. So. It was a, I mean, what an experience. It was, it was so cool uh, to be out there, have my family out there and tons of my, you know, coworkers from Glen Arbor and uh, friends. And it was, it was just a surreal experience. I, I, I wish I could go back there and, and replay it, <laughs> you know, but uh, we're on to, uh, we're on to the one right here. And, and uh, Wisconsin reminds me a lot of, of Pennsylvania, the way it's laid out in the grass and stuff. And Century World is, is one heck of a, heck of a track and heck of a test. So, Looking forward to getting out here and competing and uh, seeing what we can do with the uh, uh, with this year's U.S. Open, senior yeah, U.S. So Open. Tell me about Century World. It's there in Stevens Point, Wisconsin. Um, talk about the track, what it's like, and how you feel about. Have you got out on gotten a practice round in? How do you feel about what the uh, course setup looks like for you? Yeah, so we played uh, we played the uh, the American. Fam, the AmFam up here a few weeks ago, Steve Stricker's event on the, on the Champions Tour. So one of the days was Tuesday. So I took a drive up here. My caddy and I, uh, Mark Schoenwald, took a drive up here and played 18 holes and really charted the place out. Um, I played nine today. I'll play nine tomorrow. And then um, and I'll go into Thursday being pretty rested, uh, which is something different for me instead of grinding 18 holes every day. Um, but it's a it's a heck of a track. Uh, it's, it's pretty ample off the tee. They give you uh, some areas off the tee where you can drive it. Uh, the rough is really penalizing. 
Um, it looks like they had a step cut on, uh, on the longer par fours. And I don't think they had a step cut on the shorter par fours. Um, the greens are fast. Uh, they're, they can, they can do whatever they want with the golf course. It's in perfect shape and the rough is thick. Um, it's going to be a good test. Uh, if you drive the ball, well, you, you have chances to hit the greens. The greens are pretty large. Uh, they have some movement to them. Um, so they're going to have little sections off and they've got some runoff areas on the greens where if you miss a green to the right or left, you run off into collection areas, which is, uh, you know, tightly, uh, shaven areas. And then if you miss those areas, you have the, the thick stuff. So, um, God, what a, what a great golf course. I mean, it's, it's in fabulous shape. I can't wait to, to get out here and compete on it. It's going to be a fair test. Uh, there's a few holes out here that are a little, uh, you know, tricky. Uh, I think par number five, the par five is a tricky little one. For par five, you're going to see some different shots off that tee, uh, and you're going to see some guys power through it too. So, yeah, you're going to see a lot of good golf out here this week with this golf course. Um, uh, I hope people are watching because it's going to be really cool. Yeah, when I was looking at the golf course, it's got a rating of 75.7. I believe you guys are going to be playing it at about 7,200 yards. It's got some drivable-looking par fours. It's got some reachable par fives, got some long par fives and some long par fours too. So there's some high risk, high reward opportunities out there for you. How are you developing your strategy for how you're going to attack the golf course? Yeah. So we went out, um, we, we developed a pretty good strategy when we first played it. Uh, to be honest, the wind was the same. Uh, the temperature was about the same. Uh, so when we came back today, we, we implemented what we did last time uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, we hit a bunch of three woods off some longer par fours to kind of stay short of some bunkers. Uh, although the bunkers, when you hit into them off the tee box, aren't super deep. So they're not super penal, but it also depends the kind of lie you get. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm going to play the, the course where, where I can use my power on some holes. And then there's, there's some holes where I'm actually going to probably play a little smarter and not try to use the power so much and stay back a little bit and maybe you know, just make sure I hit the, hit it in the short grass so I can, I can have a shot into the green. Um, but yeah, so, uh, I've got a few, a few new hybrids Titleist made me out here, uh, that I'm looking forward to hits the ball a little higher than my long irons. So, um, you know, there's going to be some, uh, some equipment adjustments too, based on, you know, how far I hit the ball. Now there's a couple of par threes out here in the 230 range, 229 range for me. That's like a, a four iron. Uh, so we got a nice hybrid in there to kind of hit it a little higher to hold some of the greens. So it'll be interesting. Uh, but yeah, good track. It's going to be a lot of fun to play and compete on. That's for sure. Rob, I know you like to visualize things, visualize winning. Have you visualized what it's going to be like to hoist the U S senior open trophy to, to be able to look at it and see your name engraved on it? Have you visualized that far in advance? I visualized the, the tear coming down my wife's cheek, uh, after they've done the engraving. <laughs> yes, I, I have. Um, I'm very confident in my visualization and seeing where I want to go. And, um, I know the, 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 the path that I'm doing right now will take me there. It's just a matter of time sticking to the routine and, uh, improving the places that I need improvement on, which is what I've been doing. And I got to tell you, practicing golf every day for multiple hours, um, is very different from what I used to do. (laughs) (laughs) No doubt. Rob, the World Championship Cup is a new event this year on the Champions Tour. It's kind of a blend of the Ryder Cup and the President's Cup. Is that on your radar at all, trying to show Jim Furyk that you belong on that U.S. team? You know, if I can continue to 
improve and stick to my routine and stick to the process. Uh, my golf game uh, will speak for itself. And those opportunities, if you play well, come to you. So uh, I'm going to let the process and, and all of that just, just happen. And I don't try to set too many goals like that. I try to just, now I would like to win. Uh, but I, I know that I have some things in my game that I have to improve so I can win. So there's, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're in a good, we're in a good spot right here. Uh, I definitely know where, where I stand with my golf swing and my game. Padraig Harrington won last week at the Dick Sporting Goods Open. He made the cut at the U.S. Open on the regular tour. And of the seven events he's played so far on the Champions Tour, he's been in the top five five times, including that win. He's found some added length. He's number one on the Champions Tour in average driving distance. Also done some great playing lessons for the rest of us, which I have found to be very helpful. Do you ever pick the brains of your peers, a guy like Padraig Harrington, to kind of learn what he or what they are doing to help that run of success that they're having or the great results that you're seeing from them? Do you pick their brains? <laughs> of course. I've got some of the greatest advice out here from uh, from certain guys, but definitely, yeah, it's uh, that's one of the perks of being out here and, and, and playing with, with the all-time greats uh, over 50. It's just a, it's a plethora of knowledge and amazing to be associated with them. Rob, just a couple more before I let you go. You're still the senior instructor at Glen Arbor's Golf Club up in Bedford Hills, New York. Debbie Doniger, who has been on this show, is the director of instruction there. You guys have known each other for about 40 years since your AJGA days. Talk about working with Debbie. Talk about working with Debbie. So I was the director of golf uh, at Glen Arbor for a long time, from 2006 to 2000, I guess, until 2021 when I went Q school, and I immediately got changed to an A3. Um, Debbie is just awesome. She has turned into, uh, just a, a fabulous instructor. She's a, so much fun to be around and, and work with. She's a, a really, really freaking smart. Um, she's a great teacher. She gets her point across. Um, she, I just think the world of Debbie, uh, she is uh, a magnificent woman and, uh, you know, love her to death and she will, she will do great anywhere. Glen Arbor's lucky to have her there. One last one before I let you go. Got to get your thoughts on superstitions. Got any superstitions in your game? Superstitions. Uh, you know what? <sighs> yes. I, I mark the ball with quarters that are uh, in the 60s. Uh, I've tried 50s. It doesn't work. Uh, in 70s, it's funny. It, it, it works, but it, it's not low enough. So um, I try to always mark it with 60s, to be honest with you. <laughs> very nice Rob before I let you go how can our listeners stay up to date with all the great things you're out there achieving on the Champions Tour whether it's following you on your website or it's over social media any of the channels uh, really uh, go on my website it will lead you to Instagram it will lead you to, tw it'll lead you to Twitter uh, it will lead you to LinkedIn um, you, you know just Google me reach out Nowadays, it's very easy. Go right through my website, contact me if you have any questions. Uh, I love uh, answering emails. It gives me something to do on my downtime. Uh, and, um, you know, I like to stay connected to the game and help out people. So, uh, uh, yeah, anytime I'm here, uh, I'm grinding through it. If you have any questions about the weeks that I'm playing, I get a lot of that stuff too. It's just a lot of fun to answer some of the questions that come across. So, uh, yeah, reach out to me anytime and, and, and I'll, I'll get back to you. It might take me a day or so, but I will get back to you, I promise. Rob, it has been a huge thrill having you as part of the show tonight. I hope we get the privilege of catching up with you again soon. 
And we wish you so much luck and success out on the Champions Tour. I'd love to see your name at the top of the leaderboard come Sunday evening. Chris, thank you very much for having me. Uh, love your show. I really appreciate the time and uh, back at you. It's awesome being with you. Take care, Rob. All the best in your family. Hopefully we get to catch up with you again soon. You too, Chris. I hope so. Thanks, Rob. That is the great Rob LeBritz, folks. And you want to talk about a guy that is easy to hitch your wagon up to and want to root for. It's that guy. Again, 30 plus years making his way through and around the game, whether it was as a PGA professional or out at some of the mini tours and now qualifying. And again, like Tom Patrick said, medalist to qualify to get out there on the PGA tour and a, and a guy that was top PGA professional and a couple of PGA championships. And just a wonderful human being, as you just heard over the last 20 minutes. A great player, a great guy. And I am certainly rooting hard for him this weekend. Hopefully, like I say, we get the privilege of catching up with uh, Rob again sometime very, very soon. Okay, joining me next is going to be Doug Coors. Yes, of that Coors family, but also the CEO of Adele Golf. Before we get to Doug, I want to remind you about what they're doing there over at Adele Golf. Power and precision. Adele Golf's SMS and SMS Pro irons offer the ultimate in iron adjustability. Featuring the revolutionary swing match weighting technology, precisely dial in each iron to your swing by moving the heaviest weight to its optimal position for maximum performance. Learn more about them by going to adelgolf.com. Folks are having a 4th of July sale over at squares.com. Take $40 off Squares men's and women's mess style shoes now through July 4th. Designed for those ultra hot days on the course. Enjoy enhanced breathability and maximum performance with Squares mess shoes. Head to squares.com. That's S-Q-A-I-R-Z.com to get in on the savings. Looking for the ultimate Myrtle Beach golf experience? Well, it's only a click away. Check out the two-play special at two of America's most awarded public golf courses, Caledonia Golf and Fish Club and True Blue Golf Club. They are low country masterpieces featuring two iconic Mike Strands designs. Play these two incredible courses for one great price. Visit CaledoniaGolfAndFishClub.com to learn more about the two-play special and book your tee time today. Again, that's CaledoniaGolfAndFishClub.com. Okay, now next on the tee with me is Doug Coors. Doug is a member, like I say, of the Coors Brewing family. He's been a VP of Coors Tech since 2007 and CEO of Ceramitech since 2008. His background is in engineering, physics, and manufacturing. Like I say, he is now the CEO of Adele Golf, one of the great partners that we have here on the show, and I'm delighted I get to have him with me tonight here on Next on the Tee. Hey, Doug, thanks for coming on the show. Hello, Chris. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Doug, I imagine everyone obviously is interested to hear what it was like for you growing up as a member of the Coors family. What was it like for you? How was it uh, to be a member of the Coors family growing up in Colorado? Well, it's uh, it's funny you mentioned that because I actually spent most of my uh, youth in in Oregon. And at the time, Coors was not sold in Oregon because of pasteurization laws. and um, a lot of the kids that I grew up with didn't didn't really know what Coors was or or how, what it meant in uh, in Colorado and, and the rest of the U.S. where where we did sell our product. However, uh, from I think from uh, 
basically high school on, I was kind of thrown into the thrux of wherever uh, Coors was sold. And I did get a lot of, I got a lot of friends that, that gave me a hard time about it. Um, and uh, a lot of, a lot of great memories growing up with that, um, that background. Yes. And I read one of your best friends was Craig Canada, who is a, a really good amateur golf player, played on what's now the Corn Ferry Tour and on the PGA Tour on and off from 1997, I believe, to 2008. Talk about your relationship with Craig. Yeah, Craig was, a, was my best friend growing up. We were um, uh, good buddies, and we played all kinds of sports together. So I we played baseball together. We played basketball. Um he was an amazing athlete and I didn't even know what golf was really. Um, and I would go play tennis and then he would leave and I'd ask him what he's doing. He says, I'm playing golf. And, uh, I was like, you know what? I got a set of golf clubs from my grandfather and I don't even know how to play. So he invited me out to teach me all about golf and showing me all kinds of shots and trick shots. And we were in seventh grade and he's, you know, basically a scratch golfer showing me the ropes and I really couldn't have had a better introduction to the game than, than to see it from Craig and, and then watch him uh, just excel throughout his career. He had a long career on the PGA tour, different tours. Is he really the one responsible for you getting out and getting uh, involved in the game of golf? Was, was that how you got introduced to it? That, that was my uh, early memory. My father's the one that got me. I think uh, he, I don't know if he had anything to do with my grandfather sending us golf clubs for Christmas. Um, however, he might have. My my father was a huge fan of golf. He, you know, to him, golf was life and life was golf. And he just embraced, he was one of the most competitive people I, I've known. And I would say that even to this day, and I've met a lot of very competitive people. Um, I had a, a friend tell me, he said that, <clears throat> Uh, this helped me when my dad passed. He said, heaven just got a lot more competitive. <laughs> and I, I got a good kick out of that one. But so between my father and Craig, but I, I spent most of my time golfing with Craig when I was younger. And then as I, as I grew older, um, I started playing a lot of golf with my father and he would take me to, uh, you know, I saw you had uh, Jim McLean on here. I've been to his schools a few times and um, just, really loved learning learning how to play golf do you have a favorite golf memory whether it was with your father or otherwise as you were growing up i do my greatest greatest memory was because of my father he invited me to the uh, las vegas senior classic and uh it was a pro-am i got to play my first round with uh jim colbert wow uh and it was amazing and to to this day that experience was really amazing i i ended up i was playing pretty well with jim colbert i actually we're on the eighth hole i believe it was maybe ninth hole i think it was the ninth hole and uh amateurs got probably a 120 yard break from the pro tees and i could hit it pretty far back then when i was young and so i was waiting for the the group in front of us to clear and Colbert comes running up and says, just hit the ball. Damn it. Let's go. And so I just smiled and put the tee down, hit it. And my ball rolled up on the green between Lee Trevino's legs. Oh my. 
<laughs> I didn't know what to do. I was sweating bullets. Lee Trevino took his uh, white hat off, put it on top of his putter, and waved waved the surrender flag at me. <laughs> did you point back at Colbert? Did you say it's his fault? Uh, I did. I tried everything. I met up with him on the, I think the 10th was a par three, and I think we were all sitting there. And uh, Colbert told a, a dirty joke that I can't even remember. And we were, we were all laughing a little bit at it. And I, and from that moment on, I kind of felt like I was just there to play golf and I wasn't in some tournament where I was nervous or didn't know what was going on. And just really had a great time. Uh, Colbert broke the ice there with Lee Trevino and, and I finished, uh, well enough to play in the, uh, the last day with Hale Irwin. Wow. And so I got to play. Uh, around with Hale Irwin, and he, he bought me a free beer afterwards. Um, the, just it was it was quite the weekend. I don't know if you could orchestrate a better weekend. No kidding. Those three legends, and you get to spend time with them. I don't know how it gets any better than that. It was crazy. Doug, I read that you visited the Adele manufacturing plant in Texas to help give some suggestions on improving their manufacturing process. Is that where it all started with you and the brand? It really, it, it's yes. Basically, I was asked to do some due diligence um, for a friend that was looking at potentially uh, purchasing the company, and I went out first to see if it, the product had any merit, you know, the fitting process, the product, how good it was. Second, I was looking at at their manufacturing processes and their business in general, um, and I got to know the team there, and I got to know the product really well. And I was a fit by David. And to be honest, I had never putted better after getting fit with David and getting a putter that I could aim well and I had good speed with. And I was, at first I thought it was hocus pocus. So I, uh, I went and got fit again, um, with the Adele system by somebody else. And lo and behold, it was a fit into the exact same putter and I was blown away. Wow. Let's talk about that fitting process because I read you became an Adele customer with their wedges and putters and you went through that fitting process, which is fantastic. I went through it as well. Shout out to Will Pugh, who did a great job on my fitting. Talk about your experience getting fit. Yeah, so I I aimed my putter way left and I had no idea I did that. <clears throat> Interestingly enough, I had um, I had a, a preference toward blade putter. And... When I got fit, I got fit into uh, a back set mallet putter. And I was thinking, what is going on with this? Why is that? And I was, when I was being fit, I was like, I'm not going to look where I'm aimed. I'm going to let them do the fitting process. I'm going to be as neutral as I can. I'm not going to be opinionated or try and win the game. And when I came up, when they came up with that putter, I was like, what is this? And sure enough, that's why I went back to get fit again and another back set mallet. And it was, it's crazy when you know that you can aim your putter and exactly what line it's going to start out on. It, to me, it's game changing, world changing. And now I know when I set my putter down, if it's an eight foot or 10 foot putt, I know where that putter's pointed. And exactly. And I know if I hit a putt, Right or left of my intended line, I know whether I pulled it or pushed it or I opened the face on the backstroke or I, I got the hands ahead of it or what. I know exactly what I did wrong. And having that instant feedback is just, to me, amazing. 
Um, and then, you know, we go into the speed portion and that to me is what's really remarkable as well is knowing exactly how hard to hit something for 15 feet and having that in your arsenal going to uh, a course and knowing how hard to hit a 15 foot putt, what goes 15 feet is, is another incredible thing. And, and moving weight around like we do now in our irons, but moving these weights around just little bits make huge differences. Changing changing a internal weight by one inch down the handle or up the handle can make an amazing difference in in a putter performance and how you putt. So, Doug, now you're CEO of Adele Golf, and as someone who grew up in the brewing business, how do you decide one day? You know what? I love these clubs. You know what? I think I'll buy the company. Well, it was it was a journey. It took uh, probably like maybe eight years, six six to seven, maybe eight years. From when I first introduced to the company until, until I bought it, I'd retired from the family business. And honestly, I was looking for another challenge. And, and boy, did I pick a big one in golf. And I, I love it. It's, uh, exciting. I get to, um, I get to get involved in all kinds of really, really fun and unique things that we do at Edel Golf and learn about placing weights in particular positions or what happens when you move this or try that or, or have a, you know, a line on a putter or no line on a putter and things that, that make a difference to people and improve their ability to score. You know, we, I think we call ourselves, well, I know we call ourselves a scoring performance brand and we're one of the few out there that have the breadth and ability to really dial somebody in. Uh, especially in their putter and their wedges. Doug, I know David Adele is is no longer there and a part of what's going on at Adele Golf. Might at some point you look at rebranding the company or is there too much brand recognition and history there? I like the history and, and David has set such a great foundation for us. And I believe that we can really take that uh, going forward. I don't see a, a need to try and... Uh, come up with a, a better story than what David put together and, and the things he's done with putting and with wedges. And now with the full swing, we have the irons going. Um, it's just, I think it's a great foundation and a really uh, fun and exciting uh, area and market to be in right now. You mentioned the SMS irons and I've read great compliments about those irons. I saw that one person wrote, they allow me to hit shots I've only dreamed of. Well, you know what? Now you've got my attention. Talk about your SMS irons and what sets them apart from everybody else. The biggest thing that sets them apart is the weight adjustability. And it's a fancy way to apply lead tape. You know, that's that happens in tour all the time. Uh, if you look at a tour player's bag, there's a lot of uh, fidgeting and fussing around with with those uh, with weights and a lot of lead tape, some of it's um, some of it's done by the tour fitting vans and others. But allowing the individual to move a weight around and see what difference it makes in their in their swing, uh, angle of attack, their their uh, uh, path, uh, this remarkable changes. Uh, my path changes, I think, 1.8 degrees with the weight in the heel, and I hit it much more flush. For me and others, I've seen changes, you know, attack angle and path to create a much more flush contact, you know, the weight in the toe. 
And actually about 80% of the people we tested do better with either the weight heavier in the heel or heavier in the toe. Only about 20% have the weight in the middle, which is remarkable to me. So you've got actually two lines, right? In the SMS irons, you've got the SMS and the SMS Pro. What's the difference between the two? The SMS is uh, an iron that is geared towards, uh, it's more forgiving and geared towards, uh, say, the 5 to 15 handicappers, uh, maybe in the 20 handicappers. It's kind of a player's distance club. And then our SMS Pro is a, a cavity back iron. Um, it's a little smaller head with a little thinner top line. And, uh, you know, that's probably for the plus handicap up to the 15 handicap. The sole of the irons looks unique to me. The leading edge, the mid-tier, and the trail relief, all different kinds of looks to the bounce of the irons. That looks very unique and different to me. Talk about what those things do for us. Yeah, the unique thing is uh, is the bounce for sure. And and we're a believer in having the correct bounce for your, for your game. Our tri-sole in the SMS Pro is is just incredible. It's got a little more blunt front end and then a lot of trail relief at the back, which allows you to really attack the ball and, and get through the turf really well, which can increase your club head speed. So mine, mine club head speed, like I said, I think it went up a mile and a half an hour in my seven iron um, because of, I think, the bounce. With all of your equipment, Doug, it, it's really about finding where the proper weighting alignment is, you know, for each of our individual swings. So the face is in the right place at impact. So along with Liango, your clubs actually help us deliver the face back to square based on where the weights are configured in the back of the clubs, in this case, in the irons. Talk about that. Talk about how the, the ability to change where the weights are in the back of the irons is really going to make a difference in us being able to get the club face square at impact. Yes, and it's player dependent, but it does it makes such a difference that I would encourage everyone to just try it. Um, it it can change it changes just based on the person, um, but having that face square to path at impact is is so important, and that's what I think everyone wants to achieve all the time. Uh, but having the weight in the correct place will allow you to do that much more efficiently, and it's for yourself. Now, there's not a prescription of, oh, Chris, you need weight in the toe and I need weight in the heel. It's you you change the weight and they'll, the magic happens. You just can deliver that club with full confidence and you're, you don't have any inhibitions when you take the club back to, to hit it. When you know that weight's, that club is going to be squared in back. It's just a, it's a magical feeling. You moved the majority of the manufacturing of your equipment from Texas to Denver. Talk about the new facility you guys have there. Yes, we have a new facility. We share it with a, a door company, and um, they take the bulk of it. And we have the kind of the front. It used to be a bank, so we're kind of in the lobby of an old bank. And we have a, a simulator there. We have putting green, so we do fittings. And all of our assembly is done there. Um, and our headquarters is there, our R&D is there, uh, marketing's there, and it's it's really a fun atmosphere to have kind of everyone in one place. We do have our machine shop still in Austin, Texas, and our fitting studio there, and some great, fantastic people still in Austin to help 
fit and and make all the kind of specialty products and and fitting systems that we need to get our product out there. So um, it's it's fun to have it near Denver. I can spend a lot more time with the business, and uh, I really enjoy having people out in Colorado. You mentioned marketing, and one of the guys responsible for helping you realize the goals of the company now is your chief marketing officer, Michael Pye. Michael worked for Nike. He worked for Strixon in the past. I know he's only been with Adele for a few months, but talk about getting to have Michael as part of the team now. Uh, we're really lucky to have Michael with us. He's uh, he's quite a character, and um, you know he's been he's been there before. I'm I'm new to the golf world. I've been kind of at it for a few years now, but uh, Mike's been there before. He's been in a situation of having a relatively small company, uh, trying to make it in the industry. Um, he's been with the big guys with Nike, has some amazing experience and and what was done in the past at at uh, <clears throat> Srixon and Nike and also Callaway and and how those brands were able to grow and develop and what they did. And he's just, uh, I think he's, he's a master. Uh, he knows our company inside and out just from having, you know, talked with us for a little bit, doing some research and and visiting with our uh, customers in the past couple of months. And he's really set an amazing direction for us. We're really excited to have him. And uh, he, it's, it's going to be fun to see, to see Dell golf in the next year or two. So let's take that a step further. As you look out two, three, four years, what's your vision for where Adele Golf is going to be? Well, we want to make everyone's life more fun on the golf course. And we do that by if you can make another putt, a putt that you wouldn't have made, or you can chip one close to the hole and save a par and take $20 off your friend, that's really where we want to be. Uh, that's our goal. Our goal is to make the game fun for you. Put clubs in your hand that are going to improve your ability to score. And we're going to continue on that path for years and years to come. Doug, one more before I let you go. There's a lot of great golf out there in Colorado. Shane LeBaron is a great friend of the show. He's the director of golf out there at Cherry Hills, which is definitely on my bucket list of courses to play. What are some of the great courses? around Colorado or anywhere else, really, that uh, you've had an opportunity to play? Oh, Colorado is, is full of amazing courses and even even some new courses, too. But uh, Country Club of the Rockies is amazing. Castle Pines uh, and then some of the public courses around. I don't think you can beat the views uh, out at Arrowhead. Um, Fossil Trace and Golden is, is a lot of fun. There's uh, Rain Dance up in Windsor now that's that's fairly new it's over 8,000 yards it's quite a challenge I've not played that yet um, but then uh, across the way is Berthed TPC Berthed up there at Heron Lakes hosting a corn ferry event uh, an incredible course and then you got Colorado Golf Club uh, I play at Rolling Hills which is a great little club uh, west of town um, yeah Cherry Hills gosh there's just I looked at where we were in Texas in Liberty Hill, and there's several courses within, say, 20, 20 miles, maybe five. And in Denver, where we are, there's probably 30 or 40. So wow. it's just an amazing golf town. Indeed. 
Doug, before I let you go, remind our listeners how they can follow all the great things you guys are doing at Adele Golf, whether it's online or it's on social media. Yes, online uh, or social media, edelgolf.com. Visit our webpage. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Um, uh, Blake Whittemore, who's who's our marketing manager, does a great job. And, and Jeremy, our content producer, does an amazing job. So please check us out. Uh, take a look at some of our education and some of our videos and, and how we do our fits. And it's really phenomenal. And I would say give it a try. Well, Doug, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to come and be a part of the show tonight. You're fantastic, my friend. I hope we get the privilege of catching up with you again sometime soon and, and get the, get the updates on all the great things that you guys are doing because the products are just outstanding. Well, thank you so much, Chris. It was a real pleasure and thanks for having me on. It's a real honor too. So thank you so much and have a wonderful evening. I appreciate it. You too, Doug. All the best to you and your family. We'll catch up soon. All right. See you, Doug. That is the great Doug Coors, folks. I am excited about the future of this company. They are a great partner of this show. Very thankful to Doug and to Blake Withermore and, and all the folks over there for their, their wonderful partnership. And those SMS irons are something I cannot wait to get my hands on. They could be game changers. I'm looking forward to finding out. And I tell you, the fitting I went through for my wedges and my putter, outstanding. The detail that they go to, the process that they go through, it is way more than I ever expected. And they've got a wonderful quality product that I am really enjoying. What I hope we get the opportunity to do is catch up with Doug and, and Blake and those guys a little bit later on in the year. The growth of the company, I'm sure, is going to go through the roof. And uh, like I say, when you've got someone like Doug Coors in the background from the Coors Brewing Company now leading Adele Golf, nothing but great things are going to happen from here. So. I wish them the best of luck and look forward to catching up with Doug again real soon. Okay, up next is going to be a fantastic PGA professional turned a wonderful artist, and that is Chandler Withington. Before I get to Chandler, I want to remind you about two under men's performance wear. They're the unofficial underwear of the PGA and the 2020 Ryder Cup team. Ricky Fowler is their global ambassador, and over 50 other PGA, Corn Ferry, and Champions Tour players wear them. Just to mention a few, like David Toms, Jerry Kelly, Justin Thomas, William McGirt, Scott McCarron, and Chris DeMarco. The Joey Pouch technology provides the ultimate male asset management, delivering maximum comfort from the tee box to the boardroom to the bedroom. Use code NEXT20 to save 20% off your order at 2under.com. That's the number 2, U-N-D-R dot com. 2under, performance in your pants. And you walk a lot of miles in life and on the course, so make sure you're walking in the right shoes. Scone changes the game with an affordable line of the most comfortable, versatile, slip-on golf shoes that can be worn anywhere. They're made with breathable microfiber fabric, spikeless treads, and an adjustable lace lock. And they're easy to clean, too, so spend less time changing shoes and more time living in them. Visit scone.com and use code NXT on T20. So next on T20 at checkout for 20% off. That's Skoni.com, S-K-O-N-I.com. They're also available at golf specialty retailers and green grass pro shops nationwide. Relax. Easy now. Find your happy place. It's all in the hips. Just tap it in. 
Yes! Find the latest clubs and apparel at Golf's Happy Place, the PGA Tour Superstore. All right. Now, next on the tee with me is Chandler Withington. Let me give you some background on Chandler. He earned his BA degree in golf management from Campbell University. He spent a couple of years as an assistant pro at Seminole Golf Club, then moved on to be an assistant pro at Canoe Brook Country Club in New Jersey, later moved up to be a first assistant at Marion Golf Club. And if all of that wasn't good enough, he became the head golf pro at Hazeltine. For the last couple of years, he stepped away to focus on his artwork. He has created great pieces for the USGA and the PGA of America. Go online to check it out at archive22.com. And I'm excited he is with me tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Chandler, thanks for coming on the show. Well, hey, Chris, thanks for having me on. So great to get to spend some time with you. How are you tonight? I'm fantastic. Thank you. So, Chandler, I want to go back to the beginning of your time in the game of golf. When did you first start playing? Who put a golf club in your hand? Yeah, I, look, I, I grew up as a child of the late 80s, uh, early 90s. Uh, so I didn't have a single friend that played golf. Uh, my parents, my family, I didn't know a single person that played. Um, I played baseball and hockey growing up. So my introduction to golf uh, was really more of an accident than anything. We were down in Harbortown, Hilton Head Island, spring of 92, the week after the Masters. So the MCI Heritage was going on. Uh, we were staying with my cousins, who are the golf side of our family from Atlanta, uh, on Harbortown. And the PGA Tour is going on in the backyard. And my cousins were like, you know, come on, let's go watch golf. And I said, no, thank you. You know, golf in, in my world at the time was the, the game that you started playing when everything else fell apart, when you couldn't run, jump, catch, swim, throw, you know, anything athletic, you started playing golf. That was my perception of the game. But thankfully, they got me out to behind a par five tee. And, you know, for you or anybody listening, I mean, if you remember the first time you saw live professional golf, it, it grabs you. And um, I watched guys at drivers and this was right when metal was coming into the game uh, persimmon wood was still around. And then to go a little further, a, a younger player came around younger back then was 27. I think at the time um, they didn't have a lot of 18 or 20 year olds like they do now, but um, that player hit a persimmon driver out of sight. I thought it was the coolest thing I'd ever seen. And we ended up following him around the rest of the week. You know, of course he went on to win and uh, I came home from that trip. Just tell my dad, I have, Golf doesn't look so bad. I might want to try that out. And uh pastor of our church, maybe my first set of clubs. And my education as a kid, um, because I didn't have anyone to really show me how to play, was I started VCRing, if you can remember those three letters. Uh <laughs> I'm dating myself. I know you probably will, Chris. Um, but I VCR uh whenever that player got in the contention in a tournament and play and rewind and play and rewind, just go in the backyard and try to imitate what I was seeing. And and that was my introduction. So from there, what made you decide that golf management was what you wanted to do in college? Well, I don't think I decided it. I think people decided it for me. Um, I think uh, my longtime dream as a kid growing up was I want to be an architect uh, or an engineer. I was really fascinated by sports stadiums as a kid, and that's what I was running towards. Um, then you you have that fateful meeting with your guidance counselor, and they say, well, you know, Chris or Chandler, what are you going to do? What, what are you going to pursue in college? I said, well, yeah, I'm going to be an architect. And I remember my guidance counselor very kindly to saying, look, you're, you're going to be great at it. Uh, but what else do you like to do? And I, I thought it was one of those kind, tell me more about yourself questions, uh, only to learn later that she was very nicely just saying, look, you, you have to have good grades to be those things. Um, architect. And uh, I, I was, I didn't apply myself as a student. So note to all the kids out there, you know, study hard. You'll have more options. Um, and when she asked me that, what else do you like to do? I, I was really 
but equally out my interest in architecture for golf. And um, when I learned about PGM programs like Campbell and that you could go to school and there was a profession for golf and I, I met a lot of club pros, uh, that didn't feel like a fallback to me. And once I just kind of focused on that, uh, off I went and uh, the rest is history. But it, it wasn't my first choice. But uh, looking back now, I, I couldn't imagine the road being any different than what it was. Assistant pro at Seminole isn't a job that just anyone steps into early in their careers. How'd that come about for you? Uh, luck, it, luck and timing. I think most people I've talked to in their careers, you know, how did you end up there? You know, a lot of luck and timing. Um, my my first bit of luck was I worked at Canubrook, uh for um, probably the most impactful person in my golf career. His name was Greg Lecker. Greg was the pro Canubrook, but he was also a former assistant at Oakmont. And when I started working for Greg, I I didn't know what Oakmont was. I didn't know who Bob Ford was, Seminole at any of these places. Uh, I just was looking for a good internship. And um, I got more than I bargained for, you know, not only the education from Greg, but the fact that he was willing to call Bob and say, look, I've got somebody who ought to spend a winter with you um, was really where that came from. I, I, again, just dumb luck. But again, I think when you get an opportunity, I did make the most of it. Um, and that's the opportunity that I was given at Canubrick that really opened up all the other doors for me. So you go from Seminole to Canoebrook, and then from there you're at Marion. Boy, you're off. You're off and running. Three, two, two of the you know greatest courses in our country. Talk about how you got uh, got on at Marion. Well, I think um, the the lesson that I would share with the listeners is you you never know where the help is going to come from. I've already talked about dumb luck, but um, when I was at Seminole twice, I got passed over for promotions. So the first winter I was down there. Um, an assistant at Canoebrook named Chris Muldoon uh, got the nod to go to Oakmont. And uh, I moved up the chain at, at Canoebrook and then went back to the second winter at Seminole. And um, a great man named Nathan Olhoff uh, got the nod to kind of move up above me at, at Seminole. Well, you know, both of those people were the people who turned around and opened up doors for me. Uh, Chris Muldoon's twin brother, Kevin, was leaving Marion in the fall of 2006 to go to Shinnecock Hills. And I was starting to interview for head jobs. He called me up and said, look, there's an empty house here at Marion. You know, all three of us are moving on, uh, the lead assistant and the, the two seasonal assistants. And there was an opening. And um, while I, w- I felt I was ready to be a head pro, I mean, an opportunity to go to Marion um, and work for Scott and I and be a part of a place like that, um, how could I not take the interview? And, and the pot fell. And um, I, I think getting to spend six years at Marion, you know, probably shaped me wanted to, to lead a Hazel team, but also just a lot of the things that I love to do now, which is uh, my love of history. My appreciation went through the roof when you work at a place like that day to day out. And you're talking about all the things that have happened at Marion and then uh, its place in the game um, as a, you know, of course that goes back to the late 1800s, but um, you know, you, you've already kind of highlighted here. I've, I've had a blessed road, uh, but a lot of it's just luck opportunity, but then uh, people really kind of, turning around and help me out uh, and break through uh, some of the different doors that I was able to walk through. You were there at Marion in 2009 when the Walker Cup came through. Ricky Fowler, Brian Harmon on that U.S. team. Tommy Fleetwood was over on the Great Britain and Ireland team. Did you get to be a part of that Walker Cup? I was. And and up until that Walker Cup, I didn't really, I didn't know about Walker Cup. I didn't understand what it was. We all knew about Ryder Cup, but um I would say this, once you go through a Walker Cup, we, you know, you hate to talk about it on a show like this because we always keep saying it's, it's the best kept secret in golf. Um, Walker Cups, one, where they're played, two, 
the, the type of players that you get to watch. I mean, look at the 2017 team at Los Angeles Country Club that had Scotty Scheffler, Colin Murakawa, uh, Will Zalatoris, Matt McNeely, you know, you name it, right? Camp Champ. Uh, you're watching these players without ropes, you know, smaller crowd, maybe five, maybe max 10,000 people at an event like that, playing match play in international competition. So being a part of that in 2009, I, I haven't missed one at home yet uh, ever since. Uh, I've had St. Andrews this fall for the Walker wow. Cup circuit on my calendar for years. Um, that is my favorite event in golf to go to in person. You know, you could put the Masters or anything else right up against the Walker Cup, and I'll choose the Walker Cup every time. So. Um, if I'm letting people in on a secret, you're welcome. Um, don't miss it in 2025. It's at Cypress Point. If you're not there, that's your fault. Uh, but it is, again, such a great event. Sticking with Marion, some of the greatest players of all time won major championships there. I got to imagine there are great stories. You heard a lot of great stories while you were there. What are some of your favorite stories that you heard while you were at Marion? Well, that's a great question. Um, as far as like maybe like some stories that um, that are you know that we don't really talk about. Um, here's what I would say about Marion when, when people come there, and, and when I got there, they, we knew the Walker Cup was coming, but the USJ had just awarded the U.S. Open to go back to Marion for the first time since 1981. And I think a lot of people had written Marion off as a major championship venue. I mean, the U.S. Open was going to be under 7,000 yards. And in modern era game, right? It, that was kind of a, a risk. But as as we approached there, I mean, the mindset from people when they showed up there was, I mean, somebody's going to shoot 62 here, you know? And of course, you know, we just had a, well, we just had a 62 at LACC, right? Um, right. And, and you think that that was going to happen at Marion and it didn't. You know, Justin Rose won at one over. But I think some of my favorite moments were when, and I won't, I won't shine a light on somebody here because it wasn't a great look for him, but one really notable player showed up and he, he started talking about how they're just going to break all the records here. And we had a back and forth about, it. I was like, look, I, I don't think that's going to happen here. This is a different place. Yes. It's under 7,000 yards. Yes. I think the USGA is doing that intentionally uh, to play with the players' minds. So that people start thinking exactly like you do. Um, Marion's a hard par 70. It's got, Six long fours, you know, four or five short fours, three long threes, one short three, two par fives in the first four holes. And then those last four or five holes, I mean, just hang on and uh, out of bounds, you know, in, in places that make people really uncomfortable. Um, it's such a great test of golf and a fun test of golf. Um, but Chris, I, I think more than any of the just the stories was just watching the perception of how that place was going to hold up in 2013 and watching how it did hold up. Uh, I'll share one here. Just one quick antidote from that was, um, I think it was on Wednesday night, 2013 U.S. Open. Matt Schaefer, the superintendent at the time, uh, was on live from with Rich Lerner and Brandel, and and the the rough mowers were going on in the background. And again, everyone's like, they're going to shoot an ungodly number under par here. And rough is kind of the defense to Marion. And Brandel kind of looks at Matt. He goes, Matt, I, I got to ask you, what's going on with the mowers behind us? And he goes, Yeah. We're, we're, we're mowing the rough to give the players a chance. And <laughs> Brando starts, Brando starts laughing. He's going, come on, Matt, like, Matt, I hate to tell you, but they're, they're going to absolutely, you know, shoot the lights out here. Matt was so resolute. He just remembered him looking at Brandon. He goes, that's not going to happen here this week. You know, and, and then it, and it rained on Monday. The golf course was soft, but that just goes to show you what a test that place is that, you know, grace players, uh, you know, look at us open past history. I think, in the last 20 years, we might have seen two scores over par. I think, I think 
Cabrera and Oakmont off the top of my head, maybe, you know, seven and then, and then Marion 13, but everything else has been in the red. So Chandler, you go from there to Hazeltine. When you were there, the Ryder Cup was played in, in 2016. What's it like preparing for and then hosting an event like the Ryder Cup? Unlike anything else, um, boy, it's, it's the, it's the big, it's the biggest stage and the brightest lights. Um, yeah, I, I found out I was going to come to Minnesota just after USA lost the Ryder Cup at Medina in the fall of 12. And, um, and then, and then USA loses another one, uh, in 2014 in Scotland, uh, not even close as well. Um, my mindset, you know, for us, there, there's so much, there's so much preparation. There's the merchandise aspect and all the operations like the practice facility and, um, your locker rooms and your staff and things like that, that we had to look over and then. They had such a great committee and leadership team there to take care of so many of the, the grander details. Uh, my experience really changed when they named Davis Love to be the captain in February of 15. The, the player that I was referencing earlier in our conversation from Harbortown was Davis. That was my role model as a kid and who I wanted to be like uh, and emulate. And I got to meet him when I was at Seminole. Uh, Bob Ford made sure I got to caddy for him a few times in the pro member. Um, and we hit it off and it was great. And then we found ourselves connected again in Minnesota and Davis gets a second shot as uh, the captain for USA. So where things really changed for me is when he became captain, I, I just immersed myself in trying to understand the team USA side of things. Why did we continue to lose? And is there anything that I could contribute here from a golf course standpoint, as far as how we set up and how we prepare the team to play here that could help Davis? Um, that was unique for me. I think had it been any other captain, I probably wouldn't have been as involved as I was, but uh, the things, the way that things went, um, you know, Chris, it was a dream for me. It was, you know, a 20 out of 10 as far as the memory goes from that week. You also had an opportunity to host a women's major. The women's PGA was played there at Hazeltine. What was it like hosting a major? Well, the so the women, um, first off, I think they're, they're the most appreciative bunch. Um, not that the men aren't, but the women are so appreciative. And then what KPMG does for the women's game, you just saw this last week at Balthastrol, it's it's easily like their biggest major as far as the production level, the scale of it. Um, so I'm a father of three daughters. So for me, wanting to appreciate the women was uh, was a priority. And uh, we just got to see golf through a different lens and, and still have some great relationship relationships with the women that passed through here. And uh that was equally as a great memory uh, Hannah green from Australia got up and down the 72nd hole to win. And, um, you know, you go off and you have these relationships with these players as a, as a byproduct of it. But um, I'm just so glad that, you know, I got to play a role in appreciating women at the top level, just being that I live in a household full of them right now. So you walked away from the head pro job at Hazeltine and essentially bet on yourself as an artist. Talk about the decision to do that. Yeah. So I think, um, there were a number of, of outside forces maybe pushing me in this direction in the summer of 21. Um, I, if I had to shorten the story, I'd say that the first one was just we had family movie night every Friday, you know, pizza and movie with the kids. And we were watching the movie Hook, you know, with uh, Robin Williams, uh, Dustin Hoffman uh, from back in the late 80s, you know, where Robin Williams is a, a grown Peter Pan who's left Never Neverland and now has a family. and his own business. And, you know, there's that scene that people have seen the movie before where uh, Robin Williams character is, you know, he's been working on this big business merger deal and it's falling apart and his kids are trying to play with him and he's yelling at the kids to get out of the room. And, you know, his wife kind of is the, the voice of sanity when she kind of says, look, Peter, I, 
how long do you think this is going to last? Your kids want to play with you. I mean, that, that's going to be over tomorrow. And going through things like the Ryder Cup and KPMG and championships, which Hazeltine has so often that you mentioned, uh, U.S. Amateur coming up there next year in another Ryder Cup, it's sacrificial. Um, you know, being a golf pro at any club is sacrificial. And I think that's just the summer that my wife and I started looking at each other and saying, look, I've, I've had a great run. You know, you've already highlighted so much of it, Chris. I've had a great run. Um, I can be at peace. Uh, with what I've done and what I've accomplished and what I've contributed to places that I've been at. But uh, for us going forward as a family, I, I don't want to miss watching our three daughters grow up. And that's really what the decision was based upon was, um, was on them. And a few years into it. Um, yeah. We were betting on ourselves. I don't think we knew what we were betting on. I think we were just kind of leaving with the hope of we'll find something that's a better fit for us in a, as a family. Um, and uh, what's come to the forefront is just, Going back to what I mentioned earlier about wanting to be an architect growing up, I kind of unearthed a, a drawing ability three or four years ago, and I combined it with my love and appreciation for the history of the game. And I just started drawing for me. I, I was drawing things for my office wall. I, I wanted to have things on my office wall that when people like yourself would walk in, you, you'd start pointing at some things and off we'd go. We'd end up talking about golf, you know, sometimes for hours. Um, and I, I never really anticipated that other people would want my scribble. Um, but it's become a business ever since. And, uh, again, just a road that we didn't see coming, but, um, so glad to be on it. Well, let's take that in, in more detail, Chandler. I mean, your, your art is something unique in the world of golf art, something that all of us would love to have framed in our offices or dens. You gotta, you know, to have a 24 by 36 hand signed edition from you from the, the host courses and the year and the player that won, whether it was, the U.S. Open or the Open Championship and other other tournaments that you're doing, but talk about in detail exactly what you're putting together. Yeah, so it, it kind of evolved a little bit in the the winter of 2018 to 19. I, I just got the drawing board out and was just messing around. I I like drawing things to scale, you know, not tracing, you know, kind of recreating things using kind of the architectural approach that I learned in high school as a kid when architecture was really done with a drawing board. You know, now everyone does it on AutoCAD or whatever program exists now. But for me, I was doing it by straight edges and compasses and measuring. And um, so I, I started drawing all the logos for all the clubs. Like you just mentioned, the U.S. Open, there are 52 now with LACC clubs that have held the U.S. Open. So I just started drawing all the logos and under each logo, like Marion, I would, you know, list, uh, you know, Owen Dutra and Ben Hogan, and Lee Trevino and David Graham and. Justin Rose, you know, the players that have won at that at that club and their scores. And it was more just to have Wikipedia on my wall. I I wanted to have quick reference things, but again, things that would just get people talking about, you know, where have you been? What do you love? You know, where have you not been? Um, what are some of your greatest memories? What do you love about the game? Just get people talking. Um, but to your point, it's it's all hand drawn, it's all color pencil. Um, nothing's traced. You know, people go on my Instagram, which is my name, Chandler Withington. Uh, I show a lot of time lapses just to help people understand how I I draw and build it. And so with nothing being traced, it's kind of perfectly imperfect. Um, it's, it's really close. Um, but you'll, you'll pick up on the hand-drawn nature of it. I've just in doing it for myself first, I think we got a chance to listen to people talk about the product before we even decided to go after this. So, you know, kind of ask people, I'm like, why do you like it? And, and why would you pay money for this? And was able to listen to people for a few years before we jumped off and left Hazeltine and, um, gave us a pretty good idea that if we were going to pursue this, uh, where would we start? But, the, uh, the other half of the equation is when you, you draw all these logos is they don't belong to you. And I, I had never heard the words 
intellectual property before um, until I, I started talking to the USGA and the PGA and uh, they were all on board with what I was doing. They they loved the look of it. And of course, it told the, it told the story of their championships. Uh, but collectively, we had to go around to the, the clubs that are on each piece of artwork and seek permission for use of the logo and, you know, to strike an agreement with every club. And uh, that was the that was the year of my life in 2022 was campaigning for this. And what I would tell you today, Chris, is the artwork. It's not really about anything that I've drawn anymore, although I think it looks great. Um, it came off great. And, um, it's, it's, it catches your eye when you walk to an office or a home. But for me now, I think the story is just all these people in my life that got involved with that process at the, the various clubs to get it across the finish line. I think, um, you know, to be mayor or, you know, to, to get into Senate or anything, you have to get 51% of the vote. Uh, for this initiative, we had to get a hundred and you know, we, we needed everyone. And, um, we need a group think and momentum kind of took over. And again, a lot of people getting involved that believed in it and wanted to see it happen. And we launched the U S open piece before Christmas last year. We've since added the PGA and the Ryder cup. And um, I'm redrawing the Claret jug for the RNA this week. And we hope to launch that piece in August. And uh, I'm, I'm actually working on something for another sport right now. We have a meeting in a few weeks. It's something I'm really excited about, but um, again, we, we just didn't see this, this path coming. Um, I'm energized by it. I wake up, I'm home with my girls, my family, and uh, I get back to the drawing board and the selling part of it. And my wife has been the one who's one allowed this to happen. She's, she's blessed it and given it the opportunity to happen, but she's really immersed herself too. in the, just the entrepreneurial role uh, of a husband, wife team uh, working out of our basement, trying to make this happen. Um, it feels like we're at Q school. We, we probably made it through stage one, I would say. Uh, I think we're kind of at stage two and, Long way to go, but uh, at least we're progressing. So where do you see this going? I mean, is this a, you've got a store on your website. We can all go out there and, and take a look. And I want everyone to do that because the artwork is fantastic. But is it is it more than that? Is Are you hoping to do something beyond having a store and having people like me go out there and buy your prints? Talk, tell me about what your vision is. I think in the same way, Chris, that an author uses their book to create speaking opportunities. I think we're just using the artwork. So we want to draw it first, uh, but now we want to start. I, I tried to remind the USGA and the PGA and, you know, the RNAs, look, I'm, I'm a storyteller who happens to draw, uh, not the other way around. Um, so we're drawing first, uh, but I think the storytelling component is going to happen. What that looks like. Um, I enjoy the public speaking realm. I enjoy telling stories value-based stories, you know, things that I've seen in my life that I've experienced or that I've heard through other people uh, that teach lessons. But I think also just I want to start sharing my perspective on life and, and why I made this decision uh, to leave something that was so certain and so great uh, for the great unknown um, because it was focused on family. And um, I want to share that story with people. I want to engage people. I want them to have some urgency and some purpose to their life. You know, I'm I'm not trying to go on a world tour to tell everyone to quit their jobs, uh, far from it. Um, but I am trying to help people understand like what's most important in this life uh, and what do they leave behind? Um, because that's everything that I'm keeping in front of me right now. So I think there'll be a speaking component, um, you know, media. What does that look like? You know, maybe I'm, I'm doing what you're doing years from now. Uh, and then I think, you know, hopefully some writing. Um, I'm passionate about writing and reading and um, trying to capture what I've done also in written word as well. So. The artwork is the start, uh, but we hope the uh, the microphone and the podium and the platform will come next. Stanley, just a couple more before I let you go. And 
as I say, you've you've already got the USGA, the RNA, the PGA of America kind of on board with what you're doing. Are you looking to expand? You, I I know on your website you've got a wonderful thing from from Augusta National and the Masters. Talk about uh, who else you're looking to bring on board and get licensed. You know, I think that uh, a lot of people who who like what I'm doing have asked that natural question. You know, we've got these four others going. What what about Augusta? I'll talk to them and be respectful. Look, they're a big organization. You know, to, to even get a look uh, at what I'm doing from them would would be impactful. Even if I could do something for Anwa or uh, the drive chip and putt. Um, but I think there's some other sports. We we kind of have this brand, um, which I was almost really surprised, Chris, to learn that there weren't a lot of other artists or companies really kind of capturing the history of sports. Um, so we're we're trying to jump into a lane with another sport. I have a meeting here in a few weeks with with another sport and same kind of brand, not not the same kind of artwork. It'll look a little different. Um, but there are also some, coming back to golf, there are some things that are immediate in golf. Uh, that will also look a little different than just all the logo pieces. Um, keep in mind, you know, architecture was uh, something I was passionate about as a kid. So um, I still have that hand, you know, for the buildings and infrastructure and things like that and a way to combine it with some other things. So I don't think those five pieces will be it in golf. There's some other things, course maps, things like that, that I I want to get into. But uh, don't be surprised if you see me pop up in another sport very soon either. Okay. And with with what you've already got it, you got, are you updating them every year? I know you you put the LACC one out there for for the U.S. Open and the USGA stuff that you're doing, but you know, I mean, the RNA, right? It, it, it's it's the rota, right? So you're not going to have to go out there and get any new logos, but you will have additional winners every year. Is that something you'll, you'll be updating? Yeah, absolutely, Chris. Uh, we added Brooks Kepka to the PGA print um, and updated that, and that's out there on our store right now. We just added Wyndham Clark. And we had to add the LACC logo, but to your point, I mean, between the U.S. Open PGA um, and the Open, it should stay pretty much the same. Uh, the Ryder Cup will have to keep adding some some boxes and get creative about how we keep updating that one. But yeah, those pieces that you should see them stay out there for a while, um, and uh, just a matter of when people want to jump on board and put something on their wall. But yeah, we will keep updating them for sure. Trying to let our listeners know again about your website, the things that you have available, how they can go out and get it, because I tell you, one of the things. That's high on my list is to get the one that's autographed by you. But talk about uh, what all the different things that you have available and how they can go see them. Well, yeah, thanks, Chris. I mean, we're we're less than a year old, um, so our catalog's not very deep. And I think if people understand just the time that it took uh, to get all these approvals and permissions, you know, U.S. Open took six months. The PGA and the Ryder Cup were close to nine months. Uh, so it's been a process to just even get some of these into the marketplace. It's the first time we've been able to get all these clubs to agree for use of their logo on the same page. So that's been a humbling process just in itself, but they've all agreed and now we get to share it with everyone. Uh, so you can find out on our website, archive22.com. Uh, we have the history of the US Open, the PGA and the Ryder Cup, uh, again, with the with the Open Championship hopefully coming this August, and then a few other things in the works. Um, pay attention to the codes at the top of our storefront. Uh, there are bundle codes. If you're buying two, three or more pieces, you get a discount. Uh, but we'll also extend a discount to your listeners if they want to use the code archive family to get 20% off on their purchase. Uh, that'll be available to anyone who goes on our storefront. Uh, and then my Instagram, Chandler Withington, is where I'm at. Um, somebody introduced me to TikTok. Uh, somebody did a TikTok of me at, at the US Open and it, it took off. So maybe I got to understand how TikTok works. Um, I've got to catch up on Facebook and things like that. But again, we're, we're slowly building. Uh, everything's kind of done organically here. So, uh, 
we just invite people to find us on the journey and uh, we'll be starting up a newsletter soon on our website that uh, people can sign up for. But um, people like you are helping us tell our story and, and get the word out about what I'm doing and where to find us. So I, I can be more appreciative of just the time you're giving me here to spend a little time on your show. Well, I appreciate you taking time out of your night to come and be a part of the show. It's been great having you here. It's been great getting to talk to you a little bit uh, prior to the show. I hope we get the privilege of uh, catching up with you again soon, particularly when you're ready to announce what that other sport might be and the things you're doing there. I'd love to have you come back on and update us. You're fantastic, my friend. Thank you. No, you know, I'm always ready to talk golf and talk with people like you who love the game. I I learned something right before I came on. I, I have an Edel putter here in my, my uh, office. I went through the putter fitting with Edel. Like you, it's eye-opening. Uh, the, the piece of equipment that we'd never get fit for enough. Uh, I had a great fitting with Mike, Mike Adams at Hamilton Farm years ago and uh, was eye-opening about how I aimed the putter and, and how far off my aim was. Uh, but, Same. You know, yeah, so it's Same. I enjoy listening to your show as well, just you know, my own information and staying relevant in the game. You do a great job. Well, I appreciate that very much. Chandler, take care, my friend. All the best to you and your family. Like I say, I hope we get the privilege of catching up with you again soon. Yeah, me too. Uh, stay tuned. Hope to be back with you very soon. All right. Take care, Chandler. That is the great Chandler Withington, folks. And again, the website is archive22.com. Gave us a coupon code, Archive Family. Put that in there to get your 20% off. And you've got to really go on the site to appreciate how outstanding the artwork is. To think that he was just hand-drawing things and he came up with what uh, what he's come up with. And then, like you say, imperfectly perfect. That's what I love. I love the fact that it isn't done on a computer. It isn't done on a uh, any software. It's done uh, out of the out of the end of his fingertips. And that's what uh, really sets the artwork apart and makes it special. So go out there, check it out. And then, uh, like I say, hopefully uh, we get to find out what the new thing is and have him back on the show and update us again uh, here very soon. Folks, before I close up shop tonight, you've heard me talk about some great products that I saw at the PGA Merchandise Show. And another one that stood out to me is On Point Golf. Game-changing, three-dimensional ball markers that science shows will help us see the line better when we're putting and therefore make more putts and lower our scores. See for yourself why Jim Furyk and I are big fans by going online to onpointgolf.us. All right, folks, it is time for me to put a bow on this edition of Next on the Team. My sincere thanks go out again to Tom Patry, Rob Labritz, Doug Coors, and Chandler Withington for joining me this week. Scheduled to join me next week are a trio of the top instructors in the game who also happen to be great friends of the show and mine. We're going to start off with my paisan, Rob Strano. He'll be followed by Brian Jacobs from up there in Rochester, New York. Brian has been a wonderful friend of this show for many, many years. Looking forward to having Brian back as part of the show, as well as my man, Eric Johnson. He's out in Montana now and doing great stuff out there. Looking forward to having E back as part of the show. And then we're going to round it out with Greg Sabella from Unicor Launch Monitors. We'll learn about their great products and their great mini launch monitors. They're doing fantastic stuff. So looking forward to having Greg here. So it's going to be a really fun show. I hope you'll come back and be a part of it with us. Folks, you can find the show available as a podcast just about anywhere you get your podcast content. In particular, we're out there on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Amazon Music, Audioboom, Player.fm, and on Good Pods. And my thanks to those folks for making this show one of their recommended podcasts. Go out there and download their free app and stream all of your favorite podcasts on your favorite device. But most of all, I want to thank all of you for being the greatest supporters in the history of podcasts. I appreciate you all so very much. Until next week. 
Hit him straight, my friend.